Amen. So the Bible is an incredible book. The Bible is a miraculous book. It's the living word of God. And it gives us a lot of what to teachings, what to do. Um, the pages of the Bible are filled with what to. Thou shalt do this. Do it, live in such a way that. Um, the pages of the Bible are filled with what to. But if you notice, there are not always a lot of how to teachings in the Bible. The Bible's filled with what to, but not necessarily how to. Make disciples of all nations. That's the what. How? Not so much. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the what. How? Nope. Sometimes it seems like Nike like got their slogan from the pages of scripture, right? Just do it. Um, figure it out. Uh, the passage we're going to look at this morning is kind of the opposite of that, though. Uh, we've been talking about Peter for a couple weeks now and examining some of the key moments from his life. And this passage we're about to explore from the life of Peter tells us a lot about how we are to approach certain things. There's a lot of how-to takeaways from this story. The problem comes when you think we're supposed to, to apply the what to the passage. And please don't. Don't try this at home. You see, we're going to dive into a passage about Jesus and Peter walking on water. This is not a what-to passage. This is a how-to passage, okay? We're going to apply some principles here. Uh, I don't want you all leaving today thinking that we just had a class on water walking uh, and that we can leave today, apply these principles, and defy physics and the principles of buoyancy that God has put in place. Jesus didn't teach us how to walk on water. That was not the point of this passage, but he did teach us some incredible life lessons in this passage about how to navigate some of the difficult moments of our lives. So let's take a look together at another moment from Peter's life, and it's found in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 22 to 33. It begins this way. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter, and this is Jesus' star pupil, right? Okay, the one kid in the class who always wants to ask another question, uh, that's Peter, called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water. Can we just stop there for a second? Like, wow, that just happened. Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. I've read this text so many times. 
Because it's a great story, isn't it? And it's in the Gospels, and we kind of, a lot of times in our reading, we, we kind of gravitate towards the Gospels because it's the story of Jesus, and so we like to read it. And I'm sure it's a familiar story to most of you as well. And here's the problem with a story like this. When we get familiar, I fear that sometimes we skim what God wants us to plunge into. We just kind of stay on the surface, and we read it as a story instead of a lesson. We don't go deep enough. Oh, I know this story, and we gloss over it. And in our story today, there are, there's a, a few key details that are really, really significant. And I've noticed that a lot of times when we get in a situation like these disciples were in, and maybe some of you are in right now with your job, or maybe like you're in right now trying to figure out what to do with your family, but there's a strong wind blowing, and there's some waves that are buffeting you, and you're, you're at risk here, and you're starting to get nervous. And when we find ourselves in tough situations like this, there's a tendency to blame, to point fingers at someone else. And let's, let's be real, as we read the Gospels, the disciples are no different. They love to point fingers at each other. They like to fight and argue with one another any chance they got, it seems. But the storm brought them together in a unique way in Matthew chapter 14. And I think trials sometimes tighten our focus, don't they? Trials tighten our focus. The petty differences don't seem to matter as much when the wind is blowing pretty strong in our lives. And so one thing we don't see in this storm is Peter and John going back and forth about whom Jesus loves more. The one thing we don't see in the storm is Andrew and Bartholomew talking about who's rowing the hardest. You know, I'm doing more work than he is. They just need to make it through the storm, and so they're working together to get through it. But what really got my attention here was the detail that I skimmed over way too often, because blame doesn't get you through a storm. If you're going through a storm, you can't blame your way out of a storm. And the easily missed detail here I noticed in verse 22, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Would you let that sink in for a second? Just let that truth bomb kind of wash over you. You know how people say the devil made me do it? Nuh-uh. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He didn't ask them. He didn't recommend. He said, what do you think? He didn't suggest. He insisted, get in the boat. And it would be one thing if he didn't know, but he's the son of God with all wisdom here. Okay? How did the one with all wisdom send them into something that threatened their lives? Because here's the reality. It says Jesus insisted. To me, when I read the word insisted, that implies there was pushback. Why would he need to insist if there wasn't resistance? And so if Jesus insisted, it could be that Jesus says, hey, guys, get in the boat, go to the other side. And they said, well, Jesus, have you, have you seen the clouds that are building? It's, it's not good out there. We're fishermen. You know, you're not a fisherman. You kind of work with stone and wood and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus, we know this lake, and this is not a good time to go out on this lake. So Jesus, I think we should probably just set up camp here. We'll cross in the morning. But Jesus insisted, get in the boat. And here's the first takeaway from this story with the, from the life of Peter, and that is that certain storms are unavoidable. Certain storms are unavoidable. And here's the kicker. Even when you're right in the middle of God's will, certain storms are unavoidable. 
The disciples were following Jesus. They were obeying his direct order, his every command, and they were in the middle of this storm. They were being buffeted by the waves. They were rowing against a headwind. They were trying to get to the other. They were trying to obey, but man, it was hard in their face. And I need you to know this morning that certain storms, and you know what I mean by storm in this case, right? It's not always physical. Sometimes we can go through emotional storms. Sometimes there can be a psychological storm. Sometimes there can be a relational storm that slams into our lives. We find ourselves in the middle of, and you know those storms that we get into. Sometimes we are so busy trying to figure out how to get rid of the storm that we expend all the energy that we could have spent trying to learn what God wants us to learn from the storm. So there's two ways to get through the storm. One is as a survivor. We, obviously, we want to survive the storm, and it's good just to celebrate that you're still here sometimes. You know, that's, that's, that's a good thing to celebrate. Some of you had a bad week, and you need to stop and praise God for the storms that you've survived, that you're here this morning. If you survived some depression, if you thought you were going down but you made it safe, Give him praise. To survive the storm is a miracle. To survive abuse is a miracle. To survive an economy that's falling apart, but God provided, is a miracle. And we need to celebrate that God is seeing us through. God says you will survive the storm, and that's awesome. But if you want to, there are certain people that take the next step, and they decide, I'm not just going to be a survivor. I'm going to be a student of the storm. And I'm learning to learn from the storm. I'm learning to learn from the storm. The thing about it is there are certain things that really we can only learn in storms. There are certain principles, there are certain growth that can only take place in the storms. We're not going to learn it when things are growing perfectly. We're not going to learn those lessons if God protects us from every single thing coming our way. I'm sure most of you have probably heard this illustration before, but when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and uh, is eventually going to come out as a butterfly, when it's about to break out, if you break open that chrysalis, if you break open that, that protection that it's been undergoing this metamorphosis in, and you open it, and you prevent him from having to fight his way out, he will never fly, because his wings only develop in that fight to get out of that. That's where his wings are developed, and if you short-circuit that process, he will never become all that he was intended to be, and I think that same principle applies in our lives with the storms that we go through. And the second thing that I want to point out to you this morning is that God's timing is designed to teach you to trust. God's timing is designed to teach you to trust. When Jesus, who made the disciples get into the boat, the Bible says that when he decided to come to them and step in, it was just before dawn, about 3 a.m. If God's goal is to comfort us, then this was a late appearance. If Jesus' goal was to comfort them, man, he took his sweet time in doing so, didn't he? Jesus should have come much sooner in that case. But if God's goal sometimes is to change us, to grow us, to transform us, then it makes sense that he would show up when he did. It would make sense that he would show up after they'd struggled for a while. But when we're experiencing something and it's intense, we just want relief. God, just make it go away. God, we're done. And I get that. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you there were times where I just wanted God to make stuff stop. You ever just wanted God to make it stop? God, I'll do anything. Just make it stop. 
I'm sorry about that thing I did when I was in seventh grade. Just make it stop. It can be a heartbreak. It can be a loss in your life. And you just feel like you're hemorrhaging and you're hurting. God, just make it stop. In the King James Version of Matthew chapter 14, it says that this was the fourth watch of the night when Jesus came to them. And that's the very last watch of the night. That's 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. It goes 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, 3 to 6. So this was 3 to 6 a.m., the fourth watch. So it was somewhere in that time range that Jesus came to them. And yet, interestingly enough, the Bible says that before this, he had gone up on a mountain to pray. Gone up into the hills. They're really kind of more like small mountains. He'd gone up on a mountain to pray. When I was in Israel, I got a chance to visit this site where they, they kind of point to like this could have been the place. That when you go to Israel, they don't always say this. They very rarely say this is the place where this happened. They say this is likely or this is what most people think because nobody knows after... 2,000 years if this was the exact place. It's not like they put down a commemorative plaque, right? So they, they think that this is the type of place where Jesus could have been. And so I got a chance to visit this site. And when our guide took us to show us the, the mountain that Jesus might have prayed on, he showed us, he pointed out, and he showed us that the sea that the disciples were struggling in was visible to Jesus from his prayer station the whole time. And he said just because they didn't see Jesus didn't mean Jesus didn't see them. Just because you don't see Jesus in the middle of your storm doesn't mean he's not watching you. Someone here really needed to hear that this morning. Jesus sees you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through, and he's coming. He's on the way. But sometimes it's not until the fourth watch. The fourth watch. The first watch isn't so bad. Second watch, third watch, but how about fourth watch faith? Faith that endures through the fourth watch. See, I've seen a lot of people with first watch faith, second watch faith, third watch faith, but God's timing is not designed to give us relief. So if it's not designed to give you relief, what is it designed to give you? Revelation. Revelation. I'll be right back. Now, I know y'all can't see me right now, but you can still hear me. Other than the people who are actually in this room, they can see me too. But most of y'all can't see me, but you can hear me. And I want you to know that there are times in your faith journey where you can't see God. In the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of your trial, you can't see God. But you can hear his voice. You can pay attention. You can lean in. You can understand what God is saying to you. And I want you to understand, just because you can't see him doesn't mean he left you. His eye was on the boat the entire time. He's watching you. He's watching you. He's speaking to you. He's guiding you. He's leading you through to the other side. And in the right moment, he's going to come to you walking on the water. You know, our timing is usually built around when we think God should do things. It's kind of how our timing works. And the longer it gets, I found that the longer I wait, the louder my what-ifs get. Right? Anybody else been there? But the third thing I want us to see in this passage this morning is what if works both ways. What if works both ways. The wind was against them, but the word was for them. And what if works both ways. Let me explain what I mean. Some of you are right there now. You're in the storm, and you're waiting for God to change your circumstance. 
and you feel like you're drowning in what you don't know. So much uncertainty, so much doubt, so many questions, and I, I can't even get my head above it. In the uncertainty, and there's a million things that you can't control. Because remember, the devil didn't start this storm the disciples were in. Jesus sent them directly into it. And I think most of us, if we were the disciples, we would turn around at this point and say, well, what if we didn't hear him right? But they pressed on to the other side. Why? Because Jesus told them to, and pay attention here, what if there's something on the other side that is worth going through the storm for? What if there's something on the other side of the storm you're in right now that's worth pressing through to the other side? That if we guard our faith and we keep going and we keep trusting, the payoff is going to be worth it. But is it just me or is it harder sometimes for us to give faith to the what if than it is to give fear to the what if? I think it's easier sometimes. Fear is easy. Faith is a lot harder to hold on to sometimes. And a lot of times fear is just faith in the wrong what if. Fear is faith in the wrong what if. So here's what I mean. What if we fail? Fear. What if we don't? Faith. When we first started the church, things were tight. We bought a ton of equipment to get things going, and we were trusting God every step of the way as we planted the church. And right after we started, one of our biggest givers left. That's always a great feeling. And then the place we had talked to about meeting in, a steakhouse on 380, and who was really excited about us meeting there, decided to sell, and they bulldozed the place down. It was Parker Brothers, for those of you who are curious. And then the first summer that we had in the elementary school where God provided, the air conditioning went out for four consecutive weeks. Some of you were there at that point, and it was hot. It was literally 90-plus degrees in the gym each and every week for four straight weeks. Now, if my faith in God was contingent upon the conditions and the circumstances, I could have taken all this as a sign that God didn't speak to me to start the church, and I was kind of pushing in the wrong direction. But here's the thing. What if the wind blowing against you is proof that what's on the other side is so significant that you have to push through to get there? What if the wind that's blowing against you right now, what if the storm that you're facing, what if the waves that are slapping you upside the head, what if those are not a sign that you're going the wrong way, but they're an indicator that you're going the right way and what lies on the other side is worth fighting through? A lot of us, we interpret the wind as an indication we should turn back around and head home. And back to my point a second ago, trilogy will never yield to the wind of circumstances. We will always keep going, keep moving, keep striving because God has called us to change lives and no negative circumstance is ever going to change that calling. But in this particular situation, Jesus said, I want you to go to the other side. Now here comes the wind. Resistance. For you that may represent depression, for you that may represent anxiety, we all go through different storms. The greatest thing about the passage is that Peter didn't even really express faith. I want you to understand that. People talk about the great faith of Peter that he walked on water. He didn't really. He just considered possibility. He looked at the what if from the other side. He didn't say, Lord, I know it's you. Tell me to come. What did he say? Lord, if. If it's you. What if works both ways. What if can make you give up. What if can make you freak out. 
or what if can make you step out in faith. Yet I want you to notice something Jesus did. This is where it gets good. Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus did exactly that. Yes, come. Jesus wasn't really given too much there. Yep, come. Y'all, I, I had a Bichon Frise. That's a dog for those of you not too up on your foo-foo dog breeds. But that's how we talk to the dog, you know. Jesus talked to Peter like I talked to Sasha. That was the dog's name, Sasha. Uh, this is a confession, okay. I had a Bichon Frise named Sasha. Uh, we also had a Yorkie Poo named Tucker Bear. I'm getting it all off my chest this morning, okay. It really feels good to confess that to you. Um, but we should say, we, we would say to Sasha, come, stay, stuff like that. Jesus talked to Peter like I talked to Sasha, and here's why. I think sometimes the deepest things that God speaks will also be the simplest. It doesn't have to be complicated. Because sometimes we can mix up deep with confusing. We can mix up deep with confusing. Come wasn't confusing. It was clear. But it absolutely was deep. There was meaning there. There was power. And it would change Peter's life. Some of the deepest things that God will speak will be very, very simple. Like, come. Okay, well, Jesus, I was kind of expecting a little more. Uh, I've never walked on water before, so can you give me any pointers? Obviously, you've got this down. Uh, Like, can I get a little bit of coaching here? Like, should I put all my weight on one foot? Should I distribute it evenly? What am I supposed to do? And you got to remember, we read these Bible stories, and we kind of compare walking on water to paying our bills. Like, you said, oh, yeah, well, then Peter walked on water. He was walking on water. We can run the risk of trivializing this miracle that Peter experienced or making it mundane, no big deal. Peter is transcending the laws of buoyancy, and yet Jesus does not give him details, just direction. How many times have we been there? Jesus doesn't necessarily give us details. He gives us direction. So if God hasn't given you details right now, ask him for direction instead. And then move in that direction. I think we've all been in seasons of life where we're reading the word, but at the same time as we're reading the Bible, we're not even willing to embrace the simplest direction arrows that it gives us. Like gratitude. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I know in my life that gratitude, being grateful, is the greatest, most direct way for me to experience joy from Scripture. So why is it the hardest thing to do? Because it's so simple. See, right now in your season, maybe you need to simplify what God is speaking to you. We don't have to understand everything. Some of us have overcomplicated what we need from God to move forward in faith. But all he said to Peter was come. Sometimes all he'll say to you is peace. Sometimes all he'll say to you is love. Sometimes all he'll say to you is forgive. And sometimes God will not give the details. He'll simply set the direction. Man, God was speaking to me as I was studying this. And he said, you know how you want confirmation to obey me sometimes? Because we've all been there, right? You know, like, God, I'll do it if you give me a sign. Give a sign that I'm supposed to do it. And you know it's something you, you already know you're supposed to do anyway. And yet we're asking God, God, give me a sign and I'll tithe. Give me a sign and I'll fast. 
You know you're already supposed to do these things, and yet we're looking for, for like, clarity from God. Guys, when God tells you to do something, the command is the confirmation. When God tells you to do something, the command is the confirmation. Peter responds, at least in his head, well, God, I don't know if I can. I wouldn't have told you to come if you couldn't, Peter. I said, come. Let me bring this closer to home. Because I'm pretty confident most of you haven't tried to walk on water recently, so that's not exactly the most applicable. But how about, I wouldn't have made you his or her father if I didn't enable you to raise them. I wouldn't have given you this job if I wasn't going to be with you when you took a stand for your beliefs. So when I don't feel like I'm enough, I realize if God gave it to me, he put the required strength within me as well. He put it in me. So when he said, come, when he gave the command, he also supplied the strength for him to step out. You've probably heard it before. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. God doesn't call those who have it all together, who are ready to go. Instead, God calls, and then when people respond to that call, he equips them. He strengthens them. He gives them the tools that are necessary to accomplish his will. I don't need any more confirmation other than that he told me to. Sometimes those are things he speaks to us personally, but especially things we find in his word. You don't need to question. You just need to step out of the boat when you see something in the pages of scripture that tell you how to live your life. And Peter did, which is what makes the next part really weird. I mean, really weird. I'm going to lose some of y'all here because it's, it's different. How many disciples are there? Y'all answered so slow. Like, like it was a trick, right? I understand. You're like, um... Okay, this one seems really, I already talked to you. The simple things is sometimes the most obvious, okay? Um, like I was going to go deep on you. Well, actually, we're all disciples of the Lord. And so actually, there are more than 12. Ha, 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 gotcha. Uh, no, it's 12 in the boat that day. All right, we're going to go with that. So 12, 12 disciples all going to the other side. Now, there's a lesson on the other side. That's another story. But God is different because he gives the test before the lesson. God gives the test before the lesson. They don't even know what's on the other side, and neither do you in your storm. You don't know why you're going through what you're going through. None of us do, but I love how Peter, of all the 12, Peter was the one who had the faith to step out. You, you go, Peter. Do it big. That's Peter's style. So he makes this big move, right? And the Bible doesn't say how long he walked on the water, but he must have made it pretty far. He walked on the water for a while. And I'm going to tell you why I think so. Consider this with me. They couldn't see Jesus close enough to recognize him, to see whether it was a ghost or Jesus, right? Part of that is what's going on around them. They couldn't see him. Well, they needed to hear him to know. He had to call out to them, and that's when they acknowledged it was him. So he was close enough that they could hear him, but if you've ever been on the surface of water, sound travels a long way over the surface of the water. So Jesus could have been a pretty good ways off where they couldn't see him to recognize him, but they could hear his voice. And then it says that the, the, when Peter fell, the Bible uses a word that started the passage as well, and you can look this up in verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And then it says when Peter got out of the boat, immediately when he started to sink, Jesus grabbed him. It doesn't say he fell immediately. It says as soon as he started to sink, Jesus immediately caught him. Okay? So Peter had made it all the way to Jesus before he began to sink. More on that in a second. Now, when Peter fell and Jesus caught him immediately, the next thing Jesus said is something that he said a few times in Scripture. He said, you have little faith. That, that bothers me just a little bit. 
If anybody deserves to be called little faith, it's Judas, right? Judas is in the boat. Judas is the one who's going to betray Jesus. Judas is the one who doesn't really believe in Jesus. He's just in it for his own selfish gain. And Jesus singles out Peter, the dude who just walked on water and said, you of little faith. He called that little faith. And I thought, well, we're all doomed, right? I mean, if he thinks that's little, I mean, it's all I can do some days to get in a five-minute prayer time and not get distracted and start checking my phone. And so if that's what he thinks is little faith, I'm definitely not making it to heaven. Uh, Peter uh, definitely kind of checks a box that I haven't checked yet, haven't gone there. But the phrase, you have little faith, doesn't refer to how much faith you have, but it's how far your faith will take you. Little faith doesn't mean that it wasn't strong. It means that it wasn't sustained. Little faith doesn't mean it wasn't strong. He jumped over the boat and walked on water. He had strong faith but it didn't sustain him through to the end. And I want to show you something now, and I want you to lean into this because I thought, well, Jesus, if that's little faith, then what is big faith? What does big faith look like? There are only two times in the New Testament where the Bible says Jesus was amazed. One time was in his hometown where they had no faith in him because they were too familiar with him. So that's one time that he was amazed at their lack of faith, so that doesn't apply here. But I want to show you in Matthew chapter 8, And if you go with me to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to see one of the times that Jesus was amazed by faith. And the Bible says that there was a centurion, a Roman military official, who had a sick servant. And his storm revolved around the sickness of someone that he cared about. That's what he was going through. Matthew 8, starting with verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now let's contrast this. Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus asked the centurion, well, should I come? And what, I, what you read next kind of just blows my mind. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. When I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was blown away. Okay, head-exploding emoji, you know. Um, Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. One disciple, his follower, said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus said, that's little faith. One man outside Jesus' circle said, Jesus, I know who you are. You can stay right here and handle it. Sometimes it takes greater faith to stay where you are. Sometimes the greatest faith is when you stay because you trust that the one who spoke the word has authority over every situation. You trust that God can handle it. You trust that God can see you through. And you may be in a storm where you don't really have anywhere to go. So you don't have a whole lot of options. You may be in a storm where, you know, there's only so much you can do. And God said, when I see you staying in an attitude of praise, when I see you staying grateful, staying encouraged, staying on the job, staying in your ministry, staying where I've placed you, that is great faith. It's when you know that if Jesus said, let's go to the other side, there's no, when he says that, there is no storm in Galilee, there is no devil in hell, there's no negative circumstance, there's no emotional pit, there is nothing 
that will keep him from you and will keep you from seeing his vision for you fulfilled. Big moves don't always prove great faith. Peter jumped over the edge of the boat and walked on water. Big move, Peter. Doesn't prove great faith. The centurion said, I don't even need you to come. I don't even need all that. I don't even need a sign. I don't need a confirmation. The command is a confirmation for me. He wasn't even a believer. Well, I think his actions proved he was now, <laughs> but he wasn't someone who followed Jesus. Now, how about us? If, if you said, Jesus, you would never leave me or forsake me, you made that promise, you gave the guarantee, that's good with me. Jesus said, that's great faith. Such a simple word, such a deep expression of faith. Peter had the faith to get out of the boat, and yet that's really not the lesson here, is it? Because he still fell. He still started to sink, and that encourages me. <laughs> he failed the test, but he still got the lesson. And I love that about God. There's going to be plenty of times in my life where I'm going to fail the test, but I still get the lesson. God still chooses to grow me. He still chooses to use me. He still chooses to make me and shape me into that person that he wants me to become. Because it really wasn't a lesson about water. This was a lesson about worship. Truly, you are the son of God is how they responded. And they began to worship him. And the wind died down when he got in the boat. That's the ultimate lesson, not Peter walking on water. Here's the essence of salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So I never saw this story of Peter walking on water as a picture of salvation because I was so focused on the storm and what they went through. You know, sometimes we go through things, we get so consumed by the testing period that we don't even get the lesson. We don't pay attention to that. But I want to show you in the text that Peter, beginning to sink, Peter's faith was not in his ability to make it to Jesus. The Bible says that when he started to go down, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Now that can't happen unless he's close. He was an arm's length away from Jesus when he started to sink. So my faith isn't in how far I can walk. When I was playing high school baseball, I was a pitcher. And when you would get ahead of a hitter, you know, you'd go up two strikes, no balls in the count on the hitter, and, you know, you can strike him out pretty easily at that point. Our coach uh, wanted the pitch in the dirt, okay? He wanted it low, 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 low. Make him chase it, bounce it in if you have to, but you do not throw a strike, you do not throw anything that batter can hit at that point. And I struggled because I didn't want to throw the pitch away, especially if there were runners on base. I didn't want to bounce it past my catcher, and then, you know, the runners get to advance and all of that. And so I struggled with that. And my coach would pull me aside and say, get the ball down, Kosak. And I explained my hesitancy. And he would tell me, don't worry. You've got a good catcher back there. He'll stop it. Get the ball down there and trust your catcher to do his job. I was afraid to make the pitch down there, and my coach said, that's all right, you've got a good catcher. And God reminded me of that story so I could remind you today that you have a good catcher. When you start to sink, he will catch you. When you start to go down, he's right there. I don't know if I can make the throw. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can stick it out. I don't know if I can keep going. I got little faith. 
but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there, not because I'm confident that I can, I'm going to make it all the way, not because I can predict the path that I have to go down, not because I know how this ends, not because the wind is dying down, not because I'm so good at walking on water. I'm trembling. My legs are weak. I don't really know how, but Jesus is close, and all I have to do is reach out and say, Jesus, save me. We need to understand that grace and faith go hand in hand. Peter's faith carried him close to Jesus, and the grace of Jesus prevented him from sinking. They go hand in hand. When you don't really believe in the grace of God, you don't have faith in God. Because until you really believe he's close enough to catch you, you will always stumble. Peter's faith was not in his feet. It was in Jesus' hand. And it's by grace through faith that God is going to get you through the storm in your life. And you need to praise him for the faith you have. Don't minimize your faith because I may have little faith, but I have great grace. I got a big God. I got a good God and he's got me and he won't let go. So how do you walk on water? You trust his word. Peter said, Lord, save me. He cried out and immediately, I'm telling you, if you reach out for the grace of God right now, he's right there. And there is no shortage of his grace to see you through. And my confidence is in the fact that he's close enough to catch me. See, sometimes the way you go to deeper faith is to just fall in the right place. And I'm so grateful for that. Because there's been plenty of times in my life where I've started to sink beneath the waves. And Jesus said, uh-uh, I got you. He's the one who can make the wind die down with one word from his mouth. I got a good catcher. I'm a wobbly water walker, but I got a good catcher. So I'm going forward. I'm not going under. No matter what my circumstances look like, no matter what our culture looks like, no matter what adversity I may face, no matter how strong the wind is blowing against me, I'm going to keep moving forward. Storms can be chaotic. They can be crazy and distracting. Guys, get this. Peter came toward Jesus and was right next to Jesus when he got distracted by the wind. He was right there. He had made it. And it was at that point that he started to get his attention off Jesus and onto the wind and the waves. And that's when he started to sink. Right now in your life, some of you are distracted by the storm that is blowing in your life, and it's causing you to start to think. And what you have to learn to ignore is just as important as what you have to learn to walk toward. We've got to learn to put our spiritual blinders on and fix our eyes on Jesus as we move forward. Some of us are walking toward the right thing, but we're not ignoring the other things. We're not ignoring the distractions. you got to get your eyes on the grace of God, get your mind on the goodness of God, get your thoughts on the right what if. Not what if he doesn't, but what if he's guiding you through this? I know you've been thinking, what if I fall? But what if he catches you? What if you put your worry in reverse? The same thing he told Peter, I hear him saying to me. I hear him saying to you in this season. And that means something different right now for each of us, for you. Maybe that means to draw near to God because you haven't been hearing his word. You've just been blown by the wind. For some of you, that means that you stopped walking toward God, what God gave you to do because of what was against you, what was in the way. For a lot of us, it means that in this moment, I just need to stop and say, Lord, I'm drowning. God, I can't stay out here by myself. Would you save me? Would you help me up? Would you show me how to do it? Just say the word. 
the centurion said, my servant will be healed. Let's ask God to give us grace today. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for the privilege to preach your word today. God, your word is powerful. Your word is eternal. Your word is living and active. And we put our hand in your hand right now. We put our faith in your grace. Thank you, Jesus. We open our mouths to confess that truly you are the Son of God. It's the, it's the fourth watch of the night for some of us, God. And literally, some of us have been wondering, am I going down? Is this it? Is there even another side that I can get to? And God, I thank you that your eye is on them. That they have never left your sight. That you sent your word today to speak right to that situation. And we might not walk on water, but we can walk in your word. So God, I ask that you would say the word today. Speak it to our hearts right now. You know what each one of us needs to hear. Call us closer. And God, tell us to come. I just want to ask while you keep your heads bowed for a second. If you're here this morning and you're, you're in that circumstance right now that I described, and the waves are slapping you around and the wind is blowing against you, and I don't know what that storm looks like, what you're headed toward. You may not even know what you're headed toward. Some of you, you know where you're supposed to go and you know where you're headed, and the resistance is huge. Some of you, you're just in the middle of chaos right now, and you don't even know what the other side looks like but you need to reach out to Jesus right now. You need to take a moment in this service this morning and acknowledge the grace of God in your life and say, Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, catch me. Jesus, save me. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. If you're in that position right now, and whether it's you need God to save you from sin, you need God to save you from circumstances that you're going through, you need God to save you from your own doubt or lack of faith, you need God to save you from your disbelief, you need God to save you from uncertainty, from worry, from anxiety, from depression, from other things that may come against you, whatever it is, you need God to save you from something this morning and you're reaching out to him, would you just lift your hand and say, yeah, pray for me because I'm in that spot. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. God, I just pray for each person that lifted their hand right now. God, they're living in faith. They're moving forward. They're trying to obey as best they can. But God, the headwind is strong. God, it's blowing hard against them, and they are doing their best to get to you. Some of them, God, they are, they are arm's distance away from you. They're right there. But God, they're starting to lose their focus. They're starting to get distracted by the storm. They're starting to get distracted by circumstances, by all the things that are coming against them. And Lord, I pray that you would fix their eyes on you. And Lord, I pray where their faith is weak, your grace would abound. Lord, I pray that you would reach out as they reach out to you this morning and say, Jesus, would you save me? Lord, I pray that you would do exactly that. Be the catcher in their life and prevent them from sinking beneath the waves and restore God today, strengthen today. I thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. I just want to close with one thought. Jesus, Peter walked down the water to Jesus. He walked all the way there, started to sink. And then he said, Jesus, save me. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus caught him. I want you to think for a second, how did they get back 
to the boat. What did that look like? Did Jesus just have him walk next to him? Did Jesus pick him up like a baby and carry him? Give him a piggyback ride? I don't know what it looked like. But all I know is Peter got back to that boat through the power of Christ. And the way you're going to move forward from where you're at right now is the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit at work in your life. God, thanks for the power that you have entrusted to us. And Lord, I just pray that you would see us through to the other side. In your name, amen.